0: Jesus says that if we will ask and seek and knock, that we'll find the kingdom. These are promises that our Lord makes to us. That that if we will ask and if we will seek and if we'll knock, that we'll find God. God. Now, at a cursory glance, this might not make a whole lot of sense to us. We might think to ourselves, how can he say that? What if I I get it wrong? What if I don't do it just right? Even even if I believe that God is God, and, and even if I come to the conclusion that I cannot do this on my own. What if those things aren't enough? And I think those are really good questions to ask God. And what I want for you to hear from me this morning from the very beginning is that our God is big enough to take any questions that we can ask of Him. God's big enough to to handle whatever we can throw His way in regard to questioning Him. Questioning Him in regard to, to where we're at in life or where we want to be at in life or the things that are happening around us or the things that we don't understand. Our God, our God is big enough to handle any questions that we can ask of Him because of this reason. If genuinely asking of God, eventually what we have to do is we have to get quiet. We have to get quiet and wait for a response from Him. And ultimately, our God, He's big enough for for any question that we could ask of Him. Because He can be trusted. God can be trusted. I want to begin with three statements that you will never, ever, ever hear from God. These are three things that God will not say. God will not say, your sins are too great for my grace. You're not going to hear that from God. God will not say, your past has ruined your future. We may at times feel that way and we may think that way, but God will never, ever, ever say that. And God will never say, I cannot love you. The way you are. Because to go against any of these statements is to go against who He is, to go against His character and His nature. We talk often about the word theology. The word theology, it's it's a word that maybe that that we're familiar with. At a basic level, theology is the study of God. Literally, it is it is the word, it, it is a word about God. An excellent definition of the word theology comes from a Benedictine monk from the 11th century. He's known as Anselm, and Anselm makes this statement. Theology is faith, seeking understanding. I thought about that this week, kind of building upon what we looked at last week in regard to to belief and faith and how we we come to understand or better know that that the the difference between belief and faith is, is action on our part. That faith is our belief in action. And I thought this was fitting, this from Anselm. I mean, from all these centuries ago, theology is faith-seeking understanding. And so the goal of theology is not simply to know about God. The goal of theology is to know God. And taking this one step further, the goal of knowing God The goal is that we might trust God. Because God can be trusted. God can be trusted. And we come to to trust God. We come to know God primarily through through different two different means. Through His Word and through experience. Colossians chapter 1 is one of those chapters, one of those places that uh, that I find myself turning to often. There are some statements that are made especially within verses 15 to 23 of Colossians chapter Chapter One, and I intentionally did not put the words on the screen just in order to encourage you to turn there. But there's a section here that the apostle Paul he writes to the church then, and he writes to the church now, and I think within these words, what we find is the capacity to not only know who God is, and not only for our our faith to, to seek understanding, but for us to have a greater capacity to trust, to trust God. Read with me, if you will, verses. 15 to 23. The apostle he writes these words. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus reveals God. He is the, the, the image of the invisible God, that he who is invisible is made visible in Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn. The Son is the firstborn over all creation. And this is a theme that we see throughout, especially, it's woven within the New Testament, but it is an Old Testament concept. The firstborn in a a, a Jewish patriarchal family, the firstborn would have had possession of and power over family and assets as this role was passed down from father to the firstborn male heir. And so, especially in the New Testament, the authors building upon this Old Testament concept, when they speak of Jesus being the firstborn, what they're saying is is that there's nothing that Jesus doesn't have possession of or power over. It's a statement of of preeminence. It's a statement of power. It's a statement of, of authority, of supremacy. For in him, in the Son, all things, verse 16, were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the agent of creation, Jesus is the goal of creation, and Jesus is the sustainer of creation. How are we doing? This is who our Savior is, Paul declares to us. And within this, we see who God is. We come to better understand that God can be trusted. Verses 18 through 23 He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. There's that concept again from among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. For God was pleased. To have all of His fullness dwell in Him. that, That in Christ, He is fully God. He's fully God. He lacks nothing in being God. God was pleased to have all of His fullness dwell in Him. And through Him to reconcile, to make right to Himself all things. Whether things on earth or in heaven by making peace. Through His blood shed on the cross. Stick with me. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, now do you see how that's contingent? Paul's writing to Christians, calling Christians to be Christians. He's calling Christians to to continue in their faith. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope that's held out in the Gospel, it is the Gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The Apostle Paul Pointing us all the way back to creation. Pointing us back to Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 as God, as the sovereign Lord of all, as God speaks into existence what was not in existence. As God says, Let there be light, and as there's light, and as God creates everything that is, which is a statement of faith. Even think about how scripture begins, the first few words of the Bible, in the beginning God. In the beginning God created, but in the beginning God, which is a statement of faith. It is a statement of faith to believe that God is God. It's a statement of faith to believe that God is creator, to believe that that that. Through the Bible, we come to understand this God who creates, this God who has the ability and the capacity to speak life into existence. And yet that might not be where you're at this morning. That may be a struggle for you to trust that God is God, to trust that God is, is the creator and the sustainer of everything. You guys have heard me describe this before. I think that it's helpful for us in our conversations with others to meet them where they are. And I think that's true, especially when it comes to an understanding of of God as creator. Say if someone were to say to you, I I just can't believe that that God is, is the creator and sustainer of everything. Okay, what do you believe? Well, I, I believe that there was, there was this cosmic bang, and there was this bang, and then things started to evolve into what they are today. Okay, let's, let's start there. It's not my belief system, but that's your belief system. Let's start there. Something went bang that started things moving forward to get them to where they are. Great. All right. What went bang? What went bang? Because in order for there to be something to go bang, there's got to be something that's created. And in order for there to be created, there has to be creator. There has to be a creator God. Well, there was this, this amoeba that crawled out of this primordial ooze. Okay, I'm not there. That's not my belief system. But if that's your belief system, I want to meet, meet you where you are. Where did it come from? Created demands creator who has created the world in all that is god has when you think about it god does god still does god continues to create he continues to to renew he continues to recreate and to cause things to grow who hangs the stars in the night sky one by one that's god who causes us to have a just a wonderful rain on the final day of a hot Texas August. That's God. Now, I know some of you are here this morning. You had planned on going dove hunting, but the rain messed you up. I appreciate you being here today. That's God. Creator demands Creator. There is no logical explanation. Even if you take faith out of the equation... And again, this may be difficult for some to accept, but if we're asking, if we're seeking, if we're knocking, there is no logical explanation for creation except one truth. There is a Creator. Created demands Creator. And ultimately, a rejection of God as Creator. It's the quickest step toward atheism. Because if I can convince myself that there is no creator God that, that I'm to be accountable to, then I can live my life however I want. And yet you and I, we are, we are created as communal beings. We're created to exist in community with God and community with, community with one another. And so we, we require validation. Validation. And so if I don't believe in God and if I have this this belief system that there is no God, I want to convince you of that same ideology because I need validation from you. Ultimately, that validation that we're seeking comes from God and from Christian community. Our first step forward today is that God is Creator. That God is God. And there is no other. And because he's God, he can be trusted. God can be trusted. Say that with me. God can be trusted. He can be trusted. And the first step that I want for us to make this morning together is the step toward God as creator. And because God is creator, because God is God, he can be trusted. The next step that I want to take this morning, beyond the truth that God is creator and can be trusted because He alone is God, the next step that I want for us to take is the truth, the truth that God's word can be trusted. All of it. Every bit of it. God's word can be trusted. Say that with me. God's Word can be trusted. His Word can be trusted. God can be trusted, and His Word can be trusted. Well, Jason, what about those questions of, of textual criticism? How can we be certain that we have in front of us... Yes, I realize I'm pointing at an iPad, but stick with me. How can we be certain that what we have in front of us as biblical text is from God, is, is, is presented to us precisely the way that God intends. What if I'm missing something? If what we have are transcriptions of transcriptions and translations of translations that have been passed on for millennia, how can we trust God's Word to be true when there are so many variables? I would point you back to step one. creation if our God is God and if he has the ability to speak into existence all that is out of nothing then surely he can accomplish something like putting together the Bible in front of us precisely the way that he sees fit and there's nothing to fear from what's called textual criticism because Just as God can handle any question that we can throw at Him, He can handle any question that we throw at His Word. And I just don't think that's too simplistic to say. Because we trust God. If we believe God to be God, then we must know that He can be trusted and that His Word is true. But Jason, Adam and Eve, now think about Adam and Eve, they... They get exiled, I mean, right beyond Genesis 1 and 2, you have Genesis chapter 3, and they get exiled from the garden. I mean, God says you can eat from any tree of the the garden, but don't eat from this one tree, and you know what they do? They eat from that one tree, and God exiles them for that. I mean, that's kind of petty, isn't it? I mean, it's just this, this one tree. I mean, what's the big deal? They eat from this one tree, and not only are they exiled from the garden, but the entire Existence of humanity is affected all the way until eternity. Are you kidding me? That seems so unfair. But you see, the, the truth of Genesis 1, 2, and then 3 elevates to us the truth that God is God and that we are not. God gives humanity the capacity for free will just as he gave adam and eve free will so that they might choose him and within the chaos within the chaos we we learn and we lay hold of that which we know to be true that god can be trusted fast forward a few chapters in genesis Genesis 6 through 9, the story, of, the story of, of Noah, as God sends the flood and removes humanity from the planet, all except for eight who are saved in the ark. Jason, that just doesn't make sense. It just seems so unfair. How can a just God do that? My question in response to that is, how can a just God not? He's God. How can a good and gracious God judge and condemn? condemn? How can He not? His holiness and His glory and His justice demand it. Otherwise, He's not God. And so we trust that he sees a bigger picture, that he can be trusted, and that he's God. Now, he's God whether we trust him or not. Well, Jason, how can a, how can a good and gracious God allow evil and tragedy? How can a good and gracious God allow All of the things that we see. Did you you see what happened in Midland and Odessa yesterday? How can a good and gracious and just God allow that? Look at the world, the world over, ever since Genesis chapter 3, whether the depravity of humankind or even natural disasters that are brought about as a result of the fall. Where is God in all of this? And my response to that is, God is where He has always been ever since Genesis 1, 2, and 3. God's right in the very middle of it. Making right what we've made wrong as we yearn for the day when He's going to make everything right. Calling humanity again and again and again, especially within even within the consequences of the fall. Calling humanity to come to Him and to trust Him because He's God. And what we must not do is leave it all up to our own conscience or our own reasoning or our intellect or emotion. For us to determine what is of God and what is not. We must trust God. And we must trust God to be God. And we must trust God's word to be true. Several weeks ago, we briefly considered several uh, emotional topics that have generated considerable discussion over the last few few weeks in a very good way. If you remember, we talked about several difficult subjects Determined by Scripture to be sinful. And yet I also countered those truths with the declaration that sinners will always be welcome here. We built upon the truth that sin, any sin, all sin, separates us from God. But I have one further question this morning. How do we determine, how do we know that those things that we... Declared we're sinful a few weeks ago. How do we know that they're sinful? How do we determine that those or any other sins are sins? How do we determine what is God's will and what is contrary to God? And the answer is, we know God's word to be true. And we know that God's word can be trusted. Not that we have it all figured out and not that discernment isn't required. But God's word and not our conscience, not our reasoning, not our intellect, not our emotion, or God help us, our wants and our wishes. That's what got us booted out of the garden to begin with, right? We trust God. We trust that God is God and we trust His word to be true. This from the psalmist in Psalm chapter 9. Just verses 7-10 through out of the English Standard Version. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice. And He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a, a stronghold for the oppressed. A stronghold in times of trouble. And I wonder even if in reading verses 7, 8, and 9, if we were to recognize the trust that the psalmist is calling us to, But the Lord sits enthroned forever because He's God and He can be trusted. He has established His throne for justice because He's God and He can be trusted. And He judges the world with righteousness because He's God. And He can be trusted. He judges the people with uprightness because He's God. And He can be trusted. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed because He's God and he can be trusted, a stronghold in times of trouble, because he's God, and he can be trusted. And then in verse 10, there's this shift where the psalmist, he's been talking about God. And then in verse 10, he's talking to God and those who know your name. It's not just about knowing about God. It's knowing God. Those who know Your name, they put their trust in You for You, O Lord, have not forsaken those who... What? Those who seek You. Ask. Seek. Knock. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Because He's God. God. And He can be trusted. And I can't wrap up these thoughts this morning without acknowledging a few more truths. Some of you in the audience this morning, you've experienced some deep pain out of loss, out of grief, out of tragedy, out of Damaged or hurtful or harmful relationships. Things that occur in this temporary world that are a result of the fall of, of mankind and can be so very burdensome. As difficult as it may be at times to separate, the things that are a result of the brokenness in this world, they cause us to, those things, they cause us to yearn for eternity when all that is wrong in this world will indeed be made right. And so we wait. We wait. And we trust God. In the words of Job in Job 13.15, Even though all of this calamity has fallen upon me, yet still will I trust God. Psalm 62 verse 8 comes to mind. Trust in God at all times. Pour your hearts out to Him, for He is our refuge. Trust God. Trust God. Some of you have been hurt deeply by others. Some of you have hurt others deeply. Trust God. Trust God. Some of you have reasons not to trust people. Some more than others. You've been wounded deeply. Trust God. God can and He will heal you. The healing has to go as deep as the wound. Trust God. His grace is sufficient. Ask and seek and knock. But we can trust God. As parents, we have to trust God. We have to trust God with our children. We have to trust God with our children whenever they are growing. We have to trust God with our children as they are growing up in our homes. We have to trust God as they leave the house and are beginning to make decisions on their own. We have to. Otherwise, we helicopter and lawnmower. And I realize not everyone knows what those statements mean, but if you don't know what they mean, you might be doing it. We need to have confidence that we can trust God. Some of you have been wounded by church. And that's very hard. I know it to be. Some of you have been wounded by those who wear the name of Christ. This demonstrates to those of us who wear the name of Christ just how crucial it is. It highlights how important our actions are are as believers. But if you've been wounded by church, please, please, do not allow the actions of flawed individuals, flawed human beings to dictate to you who God is. Those experiences are a poor reflection on people they are, but they are not a poor reflection on God. You can trust God. Trust God when it doesn't make sense. Trust God when you cannot see a way out. Trust God when everything around you is falling apart and all you have is him. Trust that God sees a bigger picture Trust that God is at work. Trust that He has not brought you this far in life to leave you alone or to abandon you or to leave you without provision because that's not God. Trust the next chapter of your life because you know the author. Even though you haven't turned the page yet, trust the author. Trust that God is God. God is the creator and He is the sustainer of the universe. The heavens declare the righteousness. And I would add the reality of God. Our God has given us His Spirit. And He's given us His Word. And He's given us His church. And all of these truths communicate a single solitary truth that our Father Longs for us to embrace the truth that he can be trusted. And so trust him. Trust him today. Trusting him requires faith. And this morning, I, I ask and, and I pray that each of us would seek to lean into trusting God more fully and completely because God can be trusted. This morning, you may. In trusting God, it may require that you submit your life to Him by being baptized into Christ. Trust God. It may be for you that today is a day that you'd like this body of believers to surround you in prayer. Trust God. Come forward. I'll meet you as you do. As we stand and as Aaron leads us in song.